We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Excellent. Good. Yeah, just before I do that, um, so I mentioned in the worship time that we've, me and Catherine have been away um, and we've been uh, part of a Christian sailing centre this week down in Chidham. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been, there's been about, I don't know, 40 to 60 people gathered there um, doing lots of fun activities. There was one morning they got us up at half four in the morning and we sailed down the coast to Beachy Head and watched the sunrise and had bacon butties, which was great. Although the bacon ran out by the time we got to the leaders. So I had a bread with tomato ketchup on it, which was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's been a lot of the eye is tough, you know, serving the Lord in this way. But um, <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, so lot, during the day, lots of activities. But in the evenings, five evenings throughout the week, um, I was speaking. So five evening talks this week. And I just want to let you know that it was an excellent time. We had a really, really great time just worshipping God, um, going through his word and um, just seeing people just reconnect their lives to Jesus again and to you know to trust him to follow him and I was serving with the 16 to 18 year olds for the camp that I was on and there's lots of camps throughout this week but the reason why I mention it is because I know that right now there's people in our church people like Deborah who's out at New Day serving there there's others I know you know Paddy and Kate would have been we were doing youth camps and um, there's there's many more so I shouldn't have started naming names because I'm always going to miss people but I know there's lots of people in our church yeah Kate's pointing but I I don't know who to. <laughs> so, Jagger. Good, good lad, Jagger. Well done. Um, so, there's lots of people serving throughout the whole of the summer and gathering for festivals yearly is it's not just something we just do out of religion but actually throughout the Bible we find the people of God gathering for different festivals because it's just a time of just encountering God again not that we don't encounter him every day or throughout the weeks but it's just a, it's, I find it a real time of like just renewing my sense of kind of love and devotion to him and significant things happen during these weeks so what I thought we'd do is just Together. Can we just pray for a few seconds for all the different Christian festivals, which are there many going on throughout the summer, and all, this, all this, the people that are serving them as well, and that God would bless them mightily. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for the week that we've just experienced, but also all the many different Christian festivals that are going on this, this summer. And for all those people from Hope Church that are running them, leading them, people like Ed Poulton leading a camp for young people, people like Sean and Rachel on camps with Ichthus. And Lord, we just want to lift them to you. And we ask you, Lord God, that these would be powerful times of encounter with you. Lord, I pray that you would transform and continue to change lives, Lord, throughout these camps. I pray that the course direction of people's lives would be altered because of all that they experience in you and, and of you and so I pray Lord God pour out your spirit on them speak to people I pray would you bless not just the delegates and the campers but those who are serving on them too and uh, we just lift up all the Christian festivals going on right now and throughout these these weeks of the summer in your name amen amen wonderful um Maddie 
Could you just grab some Bibles? Today we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22 and in the church Bibles they're on page 268 and the words are not going to appear on the screen like they normally would do. So it's going to be really helpful to you if you've got a Bible in front of you and um, so put your hand up in the air and Catherine and Maddie will bring you one to you in your seats if you haven't got one on your phone or in front of you. It will. We're going to be reading through through two chapters so it will bless you I've warned you having a bible is going to bless you this morning so um, keep your hand up in the air until it arrives to you to page 268 before we get there um, I became a Christian around 1617 and a year later at 18 I'd finished my A-levels and I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do with my life and so my mum who's uh goes to a Baptist church and gone to the same Baptist church for like the last 40 years, serves faithfully in that church. She told me about the Baptist Missionary Society and they are a group of people who um, you kind of gather together in Solihull and um, from that about 40 of us gathered and from there sets of four of us went off into different nations all around the world like Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, um, into like Thailand and those kind of areas, Singapore, and my team, four of us, four or eight 18-year-olds, we went over to Brazil to a place called Santos or Guaraja, which is in Santos, which is at the bottom of Sao Paulo. And we were there for six months, the four of us, and over there, what happens is that um, school, like state school, starts at seven years old. And so what happens is that the kids that are brought up into kind of well-off families, their, their parents will pay for them to have kind of private education between the ages of four and seven. And so when they start school, they kind of hit the ground running. They kind of know a bit about how to read and how to write and how to do some basic sums. And so they, they end up doing quite well. But those kids that live in the favelas and the shanty towns, they don't have any of that. And so when they start at seven, they don't do very well at all. By the age of 10, 50% of favela kids are dropped out of school. By the age of 14, 80% have dropped out and very, very few make it to kind of 16 or 17 years old. And so churches all around Brazil, what they do is they um, provide, it's called Pepe, which is basically uh, in Portuguese, which I can't remember, is like a free, basically a free school, free preschool for the uh, favela kids and what would happen is that um, the four of us our team of 18 year olds is we would go along and there would be like these kind of two elderly ladies who'd given up their time for free every week to give four hours in the morning for like 40 kids and then four hours in the afternoon for another 40 kids to just give them free education reading writing skills and so what we did is we took over loads of resources pens paper all that kind of stuff and we would just serve them and for the first three months it was like we'd play games and do that kind of stuff because we didn't really know the language too well but as we picked up the language we were able to do a few more basic things and it was great brilliant these some of the lives that are transformed through this thing is just incredible but living in a favela in a shantytown is is really difficult you know and it's like drug lords like kind of ruling them and it's not a safe space to be and so when I was there we weren't for our safety we weren't allowed to stay overnight in the favela we were only allowed to be there during the daylight hours and so we'd stay outside of the favela about an hour's bus drive and during that hour's bus ride for the first few months I just 
be listening to my music, bopping along on the bus, you know, looking at the sights. And after a while, um, like all the other guys that were with me, they were a bit of bookworms, and they would be reading and like, really enjoying their books. And the only book I had was the Bible. And so I started, I started to take some time to read the Bible, and I got to 2 Kings chapter 22, which is the passage we're about to read, and it, it transformed the way I view the Word of God, the way I value it. And this morning, I'm going to talk, talk a bit about valuing the Word of God and loving Scripture and getting to grips with it. And we'll see, what happened for me was that... Um, I had been, I had all sorts of, I had, do you remember CDs? Yeah, people, yeah, good. And you used to get like the little kind of CD thing, like a portable CD player. And so I, that's what I used to have. And I used to have this like big pouch, which you could put all your CDs in. And, you know, you turn it over and put more in. And I had loads of these, hundreds of them. Probably worth like a thousand pounds at least, maybe a couple of thousand pounds. But all the songs I had, as any kind of 17-year-old from Brighton, all the kind of tracks were like hardcore R&B, rap, um, and singing about all sorts of rubbish about girls about drugs about lifestyle like and so I was just filling my mind day after day with all of this kind of nonsense and I got to two kings and which we're going to read for in a minute and I remember taking this whole pack of cds and chuck them in the bin because I thought I've just got to get rid of this chucked them in the bin and the next few months the last three months I just read every day and now and you know reading on bus you feel a bit sick it's like you know because you're jumping around and the roads aren't the best and so I'd read like a minute and then I'd put it away because I'd need five minutes just to recover because I was feeling a bit nauseous and then I'd read another minute and I'd build it up over time so that I could read for so now stick me in any kind of transport I can read no problem no sickness I'm absolutely fine but it did take a bit of working through and a few green bags um, full of stuff and uh, anyway I remember there's this girl when I chucked away the CDs there's this girl that was with us on the camp and she was like how on earth did you do that why did you do that you've just wasted so much money chucking away all those CDs you could have given them away to charity you could have given them to me I enjoyed loads of those songs and she couldn't believe it she was really she didn't speak to me for like a week after about two months she kind of came to her senses a bit and says actually I do get why you felt like it was important for you to do but she was absolutely livid but for me it was a real step what I felt it's not that all music's bad but just for me I just felt God speaking to me and through this, through this, uh, the, through these couple of chapters, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read through two chapters, and that will basically be the whole of my talk this morning because I'll read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit, talk a bit, and my prayer is that by the end of this morning, you also will be reignited with a passion for God's word, for reading it, getting stuck in, and being obedient to what it says. In order to help us, though, it's worth me just giving you a little bit of context, because when you dive right into the middle of a book, uh, because we're going to be in chapter 22, page 268, if you've got a church Bible, um, it's helpful giving you a bit of context just so we know where we are. And so what's happened is that 
The people of God are far from God. They, they, um, they don't, they're not following him at all at this moment in time. Throughout the whole book of 1 and 2 Kings, you get good kings and bad kings, good kings and bad kings, and for the most part, they're generally bad. They're generally bad kings, which is why, ultimately, they end up getting taken out into exile. But um, we're at this stage where the people of God are just so far from God that they don't even know where any of their Bibles are. Scripture is lost to them. They're, they're living with and getting involved with all the cultural practices of the day, of their town, and so you will find, and we'll see as we read through it, that the people there, they're doing all sorts of things, like child sacrifice, the men are being prostitutes at the temple. Inside their churches, or you know, their temples, they've got all sorts of different um, uh, statues and monuments to different gods that they're worshipping, and it's just an horrendous time for the people they're all doing their own thing they all have all sorts of weird sexual practices horrendous worship idol sacrifice and idol worship and they haven't got a clue where the scripture is it's all disappeared it's all gone they're doing their own thing and so with that in mind let's read so 2 kings chapter 22 verse 1 Josiah was eight years old when he became king And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adahiah, and she was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And so there's a just pause, quick glimmer in there that we've been having horrendous kings, horrendous kings, horrendous kings, and then suddenly this eight-year-old has been brought to the throne because his dad's died and oh but this guy he does what's right in the eyes of the Lord this is a good king and it says in the 18th year of his reign so do the maths he's now 26 King Josiah sent the secretary Shapam son of Azaliah the son of Meshulium to the temple of the Lord and he said go up to Hilkiah the high priest Sorry, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders and the masons, and also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. So again, pause again. We're getting a bit more insight into what Josiah is like. He's a man of integrity. He he recognises that, first of all, there's high priests in the land and that he needs to go to them. Hey, we need to make sure that if we're going to be the people of God, that we respect the high priest. But also, he's a man of integrity and he's going to make sure that the wages, that the workers get their wages. And he's like, hey, we need to make sure that we pay the people for the work that they do. It's a good guy. Hilkiah, verse 8, the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported it to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple, good, to the Lord, and they've entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, said, hey, to the king, Halkiah, the priest, has given me a book. He hasn't got a clue what the book's about, but I found this book. And Shaphan read it, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Let's just pause again. So here we've got this 
started off with this eight-year-old who now is 26, a man of integrity, knows the right things to do, wants to make sure the, the workers are paid, and suddenly they found this book. They don't know what this book is, but they start reading it. And having read it, this would probably be the Torah, so the first five books of, that we have of the Bible, because he wouldn't have had the rest. And um, having read it, and read from it, he... He's torn his robes because he's looked out on the state of his nation, on the culture, on the Israelites, on the people that are meant to be the people of God. He's heard the promises read through from Genesis through to Deuteronomy. And, and he's like, this is outrageous. This is horrendous. And we think, sometimes we think our culture's bad. We think, hey, it'd be pretty, it's difficult to go and tell people about Jesus and to share the good news of the gospel with our culture. But at least we've still got Bibles. At least we know where they are, right? And at least we, I mean, in lots of ways, we, we're nowhere near this kind of thing. And yet, here, Josiah, he wants to do something about it. So he tears his robes. He's, he's basically coming in repentance before God. And it goes on. Verse 12. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest, Ahiakim, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Makahiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asahiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. And again, just pause. What I think is amazing here is that he's not only has he found the book, but he wants to find out more about it. And so he's willing, willing to go to the, to the prophets. Hey, can you, and to the, to, the, to the priests and say, can you find out more about this? He's willing to study it and to find out more and to dig deep into it. Great is the Lord's anger, he says, that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to the, speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shulam, son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. What a job. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. And she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place. And its people, according to everything written in the book, the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me, they've burned incense to other gods, they've aroused my anger um, by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you've heard. So pause. This is, he's being reminded, King Josiah, that God, who's the same yesterday, forever, today and forever, is a God who cares about what the people do, the people of God do. He doesn't turn a blind eye to their actions and their deeds, but he, he is righteous and he's just. And he is going to bestow his righteous anger, but... He's also merciful and gracious. And so in verse 19 it says, essentially, but because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I've spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, basically because he repented, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. That is amazing Bible verse. 
heavenly father he is righteous and he judges justly and here we get a passage where a man has repented before God come before him and he's changed his ways he's going to show love and grace and kindness because of that it's a wonderful promise that you can hold on to for yourself he also says I've, I've heard you declares the voice therefore he's going to act I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. And so they took the answer back to the Lord. This is, um, so that's the end of chapter 22. This is an incredible few verses. This guy, this 26-year-old, a young man, has discovered the word of God because it's been lost and the people that have gone before him, the kings before him, have let it be discarded. He's seen how the word of God encourages people to live their lives. And he's sees how it doesn't match up and so he's going to do something about it and the first step is he's come before God and repented he's been responsive to what the words say he's acknowledged that he is part of this and that he wants to repent as well on behalf of his nation and the Lord has heard his prayer and now not only does he receive peace but the whole of the nation because when the king is in peace then the whole nation is is in peace and so the whole of the people of God they get to enjoy a time of peace and fruitfulness not being invaded by other countries because of this guy's willingness to read the word of God and to act and respond in that way and so what he then goes on to do is what led me to want to um, get rid of and tear down the kind of things that have been in my life that have been speaking so we're going to read through not all of 23 but we'll read through some of it so it says this Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets. He gathers everyone, all the people, from the least to the greatest, the old, the young, the fat, the old, the the thin, the wise, the whoever. Every single person comes. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. That's all the Torah which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands and statutes and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. This is incredible. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, that having read the words of God, having now, it's not just a book. It's the book of the covenant. He knows what it's about. He knows what it's God's promises. His faithfulness to his people is never going to leave him, never going to give up to him. All those things we've been singing. And he's saying, hey, we've got to come together, all of us. It's not just me. All of us have got to come together. We're going to renew our commitment to God, renew our covenant to him. We're going to say we're going to be part of this and be with him. And it's not just words, though, because we're going to find out he does it in deeds as well. And this is where we find out how bad the culture has been. So the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense in the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon and the constellations and to all the starry hosts. 
He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and he burned it there too. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. The quarters where women did the weaving for Asherah. And so I don't know if you just captured that in those few verses. Um, This is the state of the nation. You've got the men hanging around the temple, prostituting themselves to other men and women in the name of the Lord. You've got, all, you've got Baal being worshipped, Asherah poles being put up in the temple, and he goes through, I'm not having this. It's all got to be torn down. This isn't how we worship God. Verse 8, Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba. That's basically from the top to the bottom of the whole, the whole country. He went through everywhere where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gates. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. And so what that's just saying is basically that they these priests these people that were meant to be there teaching people about God instead were worshipping Baal and the constellations and the starry host were also um, like eating unleavened bread which is meant to be at festivals but they weren't obeying the festivals they weren't doing it so it says you know in verse 9 although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar they were still eating the unleavened bread so they were kind of in act, they were kind of they seemed to be doing the part, but they weren't actually leading the people of God properly. And so Josh Josiah is coming no, this has all got to go. He's taken it all out. None of this good. He carries on. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Bin Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or their daughter in the fire of Molech. I mean, how bad is that? That the people of God this isn't this isn't not people of God. This is the people, these are people that worship the God that we worship, sacrificing their sons and daughters to Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Molech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars to the kings of Judah that had been erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed from there and smashed them to pieces and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sodomans, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Melech, Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Do you know, Josiah was resilient in making sure that he, that he, he did the right job. That he wasn't letting anything to, like go un, unturned. And I, I told the story about um, the girl that was with me in Brazil who was who was properly upset that I'd got rid of you know maybe a thousand or two thousand pounds worth of CDs this Josiah didn't this would have devastated the whole economy he thinks King Solomon he was the, the king who had so much gold and treasures and so all the, the things that he tore down that Solomon built would have been worth in terms of GDP 
millions and millions. Like, but Josiah didn't care. He was like, it's all got to go. It doesn't matter what it's worth. It doesn't matter what it costs. Serving the Lord is much more important than any money, any income, any, anything. I think that's incredible. Chapter 15. Verse 15. Thank you. Even... Um, we're keeping going. This is telling us, this is how much he's dedicated to the word of God. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place, he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looks around and when he saw the tombs that were on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. So again, that might sound a bit weird, but basically what the people of that time would do is they'd put up on the high places these Asherah poles that they would worship to the gods and then if you were wealthy enough, you would have your ancestors buried on this hillside near the Asherah pole so that they would be blessed by that God and so what Josiah does is says this is horrendous so he takes digs up all those graves burns all those bones sacrifices them on the altar of the Lord as a demonstration of God's justice and righteousness to them and all these things had been prophesied by a man of God before and so he's a man not just of the word but also of the spirit he, he, he values prophecy as well, not just the word of God, and he, he follows it both, but only when they align, which they do in this case. The king asked, verse 17, what is that tombstone I see? So there's one that stands out. The people of the city said, well, it marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar at Bethel the very things you've done to it. Ah, so he says, leave it alone then. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from Samaria. And so here again, you've got someone who's come before and he said, hey, this is wrong. This isn't good. But no one listened to him. He was buried. But because he was a man of God, because he, he stood up for what was right, he's left his bones untouched. Uh, verse 19 just as he had done at Bethel Josiah then removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria and that had aroused the Lord's anger Josiah slaughtered all the priests of those high places on the altars and burned human bones on them and then he went back to Jerusalem the king gave this order to all the people celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. We're just going to read two more verses, but before we do, so here, that, that little bit there is that when Moses, so before this time, Moses took the people out of Egypt you know the whole pharaoh let my people go and they went out into the promised land and well they had 40 years of messing around in the desert first but they went out and the 10th plague that came on the people of God was a plague that was going to kill the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt but God said if you sacrifice a innocent lamb a spotless lamb and pour its blood on the doorposts on the wooden posts then everyone who has enough faith to reside inside that home will be saved 
my judgment will pass over them. And every year after that, the people of God were meant to celebrate this Passover, God's grace and God's mercy, that he would be willing to spare all those. They didn't have to have all the answers. They didn't have to know all the scripture, but all those that just had enough faith to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts. Here we get to a time where that celebration is long gone. They've stopped having the Passover. They've stopped celebrating it. They've stopped coming together to worship God, to remember his grace and his mercy. Now today, we said earlier, we have camps every summer going on all the time where people come and remember, not the Passover, but Jesus' spotless, blameless lamb who was slain on the cross. And every single person who has enough faith to believe in the blood of Jesus will be saved. God's judgment will pass over them. And they won't perish, but they can know everlasting life given by God the Father as a gracious gift to us. That's why it's good to celebrate. That's why it's good to come to church. That's why it's good to thank God for all he's done and celebrate this. And that wasn't happening, but here, because of Josiah reading the covenant, remembering God's promises, remembering who they are, he he decides, hey, we're going to celebrate Passover again. We're going to praise God. We're going to thank him. We're going to bless him. All because he found the words... Words, the words of scripture and believed, uh, believed in them, trusted in them and was willing to live by them. The last two verses says this, furthermore, he he's not stopped, Josiah got rid of the medians and the spiritists, the household gods, the idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. And my question is, how about you? This book, does it just prop up your nightstand or do you do you live it and breathe it do you live by it are you obedient to it Josiah did and it transformed his life but not just his own but all the people around him imagine Hope Church if we every day took time to read this book to digest it to learn from God to, to hear about him to stand on his promises, to trust in his faithfulness. What difference would we make in Guildford and beyond? What li- how would we see lives transformed? It's an, incred- it's an incredible thing that he did. My little act of getting rid of a few CDs was nothing compared to this. And, and there's more. I know God's calling me to more, to more things to, to, to step away from. And I wonder, what things is he asking you to tear down in your life? What things do you need to get rid of? What things do you need to burn? What things do you need to turn to ashes? What things have occupied your space and your time and your energy and your efforts that are not of God? That you just need to get rid of? That are just causing you havoc? That are leading you not towards the things of God? Not towards celebrating the Passover and celebrating, celebrating all that Jesus did on the cross but are leading you away from him? What things do you need to turn down? tear down, destroy, demolish not just for a day but forever what things you just need to cut, you know, pulled away from your life
I don't know those things. But I'm praying that right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is revealing, yeah, we need to, let, we need to tear that down. We need to let go of that. Just going to finish with this analogy, which I've shared before, but it's a good one, so I'm going to share it again, and I don't care. <clears throat> if I said to you that I was going to give you £1,440 every day for the rest of your life, would you accept it? Yeah. yeah. I'd accept that. £1,440, thank you very much. But what if I said there's a not there's a cat. What if I said, but what I'd like you to do is every day I'll give you £1,440, but what I'd like you to do is to give me back £14.40 a day. Would you do it? Yeah, because you're good at maths. I'm still quids in. If I said, would you give me back £28, would you do it? You'd do it. Even if I said £100, would you do it? That's a few, I'm not sure. <laughs> do you know, without discrimination, without favouritism, God gives every single person 1,440 minutes every day. Every single day. It doesn't give you more, it doesn't give you less. Every day gives you 1,440 minutes. And if you took 14 minutes of your time each day to read the Bible, you'd be giving him back 1% of your time. 1%. Could we do that, church? Could we give God back 1% of the time he gives us every day just to read his word? Some of you might even be able to stretch to 2%. Give them 28 minutes. If you did that, you'd read the whole Bible in a year. You'd have read the whole... And that's more than Josiah had to read, right? Josiah only had to read the first five books, so, you know, we let him off. But you could, you could do it the whole thing in a year. If you gave 28 minutes, 2%. Even if, though, if you gave half a percent, seven minutes, and just read a few verses every day, and just prayed about them, and asked God to speak to you, I believe it would transform your life. I've, what I've been doing, because I don't find this easy, sometimes I can find it difficult to, you know, sometimes it feels like a bit of duty, oh God, it's causing more Bible reading. It shouldn't be like that, actually. It's because of God's grace, I want to st- know more. I want to be like Josiah, passionate and faithful to his word and want to know more because it's amazing all the things, all the treasures you can find out. You know, they say that the Bible is like, uh, like a shallow kind of paddling pool that toddlers can just paddle in. But it's deeper than the deepest oceans that theologians can drown in. There's so much depth and richness to this book. It's why for 2,000 years plus, it's still the number one best-selling book every single year without fail. They've stopped putting it on the list. You know, they don't, you don't see it on the list anymore. It's because without fail, it's the number one best-selling book every single year because it's so rich. There's so much depth to it. And what I've been doing to help me is I've just, there's a few of us guys, three or four of us, we just get together, a little WhatsApp group, and we just, we've been reading through Acts, and we just make a little comment every day 
every day we just make, oh, what did you think about the chapter for this? And that just helps us. It help, what it helps me is that, because if I forget, it reminds, I see a text, oh, yeah, so-and-so's read, read the, I better, read, I better read mine too. But what it's helping me is helping me to just be faithful each day to just reading a bit every day. And so can I encourage you, why don't you want to get a little WhatsApp group together or something with some friends? Start in Matthew maybe or Mark or wherever you want to start and just read a bit. I want, us, I want to encourage us. I'm, hopefully you've got the message. Let's be people of the book. Let's be people that, you know, remember the word of the Lord. He is so wonderful. There's so many faithful promises that we can draw on in this in here. And if we don't read it, how do we know the promises? If we don't read it, how do we know what to tell people? If we don't read it, how do we know what God wants to speak to us today in this place and to our friends and our neighbours? Is that okay? Amen. So hopefully I've encouraged you. It's a great story that you can dig in more on. And uh, hopefully we will be people that, you know, in weeks and months ahead, you'll be coming, oh, I read this and I found this out. And oh, I read this and found this out. And what I also know is that actually many people across this room faithfully get stuck into God's word every day. And that's helped them to live a, a life, faithful obedience to God every day as they trust and stand on the promises of God found in his book. Come on, let's stand. Worship team, let's come back up. And, um, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for King Josiah. And I thank you that in a culture that was completely against you, in a society that forgotten what it even was to worship you, Lord, I thank you that Josiah was a man of integrity, a man of resilience, a man who was willing to read your word and trust it and take it to be true. And I pray, Lord God, for the, every single one of us, that you would help us. Lord, we live in a different, difficult culture who perhaps many people have forgotten this book or they, they put it on the sidelines as a bygone relic of yesteryear. Lord, I pray, help us not to treat it in that way, but to treasure it as our most valuable possession that we could possibly own on this planet. Help us, Lord God, to value it. Help us to read it. Help us to get stuck into it. Lord, in those tricky bits that are tough, Help us, Lord, not to give up, but to press in and to seek you, to ask you and to ask others what it means. Help us, Lord God, like, like Josiah did. He asked, he inquired. He asked people to explain it to him. Lord, I pray, help us to do the same. I pray, help us to be passionate about your word, about what you say in it. And I, and I pray, Lord God, that for all, for all of us, Lord God, we'll all have things in our life that need to be torn down, that are distracting us from worshipping you. I pray, help, give us courage, give us boldness to tear those things down. Give us boldness to, to say no to ungodliness and step into all that you're calling us to. Help us, fill us with your spirit, Lord, and help us, Lord, to be faithful to your promises, faithful to you, to trust you, to live for you. Thank you, Lord, that we're not alone. Thank you that we've got each other to encourage us with. Thank you that we've got the Holy Spirit to guide us and inspire us and to speak to us too. And I pray, Lord God, that you would equip us, strengthen us today, I pray. Help us, Lord, to be bold and courageous in all that you've called us to. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.